Okay, and the story begins. Excellent. It's been a long time. Okay, so what are we talking about? What's going on? What are we doing here? What are we do? We are, we are, are we seeking ourselves? the meaning of life. <laughs> we're pretending, chapter 19. We're pretending to be in life. Trying to figure out the meaning of life. Okay, I like it. I like it. Let's zoom in on that. Alright. In relation okay. to our chapter. Chapter 19. Just to backtrack a little bit. The goal of Tanya is to develop a relationship with God where we're not only physically present, observing the mitzvahs, but we're emotionally present. Because that's a healthy relationship. Or we're, we're there body and soul. How do I develop this relationship with God? How do I feel God in my life? So chapters 16, 17 says, think about God and you'll feel God because the mind rules the heart. And if you can push away the animal soul's feelings, the actions of the animal soul, the behavior of the animal soul, the thought, speech, and action, you can definitely reject. We could choose what we think about, what we say, what we do. We can't always choose what we feel, but we can make, because we're not a tzaddik, we can't totally reject the animal soul's inner feelings and existence, but we can make some room for the godly soul. When we think about God, we'll feel God. We're expert meditators because the more we think and dwell on things, the more we feel. Right? We're sitting in traffic and we're pondering how this person treated me at work. And all of a sudden we get this, we get enraged. Right? And that never happens. Passion. Yeah, it never happens. <laughs> Only when someone comes Passion. I like it. We, <laughs> we, we, we get become, passionate about the guy who's flipping you off because you, you went in front of them. Exactly. But if we didn't think about it, it wouldn't have happened. We would have gotten over it. Quite easily. We could have just dropped it, right? Now it's the same with our relationship with God. We can think about God. We can feel God. It's a love, a passion developed by the mind. Chapter 18 and onward took a whole new course. We don't have to think about God and develop love. We have a hidden love, a dormant love. It's there already. It's something we've inherited from, from our ancestors, from our patriarchs, from Avraham. And this love will push me to do things that I wouldn't do, which my mind would not tell me to do. It's a much stronger love. It's a lot more passionate. Before we discuss how to develop this love, it's already there, but we have to kind of just realize it. We, we said that it's not just, you know, how, how, could, you, how could one bequeath an emotion towards something specific. You can inherit from your parents passion. You know, you're, if you're if 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 you're if that if you're genetically predisposed to being passionate, passionate, so you'll be a passionate person. But to be passionate towards something specific, you know, I'm passionate about the Yankees. My daughter is going to be passionate about the Yankees too. Maybe she'll be a passionate person by nature, but maybe she'll be passionate about something else. Who says she'll be passionate about God just because I'm passionate about God? So Avraham, Abraham was passionate about God. Why does that make us passionate about God? Maybe we're just passionate people. And the answer is Avraham did not bequeath love to us. He bequeathed a soul to us, a connection, which is where that love comes from. And it all <coughs> originates within Chachma, as we'll soon elaborate even more on. 
Um, what does this love feel like? That's kind of where we're at in this chapter. What is it like to experience this love? Anyone? It's fulfilling. It's fulfilling, okay. It's inspiring. Inspiring, okay. Sense of purpose. Maybe. Purpose. It's not very tangible. <clears throat> not very tangible. Gotta be, gotta be, you gotta really believe it since you can't hold it or touch it or see it. Okay, so I guess that's kind of the goal here. How do we make this tangible? But before... So, so, so repeat what you just said. I said it's not very tangible because you can't hold it or touch it or see it. You have, it's, 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 incredi- it's, it's exclusively emotional. Okay, so very good. So the goal of, of Tanya, and particularly these upcoming chapters, is to make this love tangible. But before we make this love tangible, we have to know what we're trying to make tangible. What is this love? And he gives an analogy. The candle, right? The flame. Based on the wisdom of King Solomon from the book of Proverbs, Mishle, the candle of a person, sorry, the soul of a person it's much like the is like a candle. Flame. It's the flame of God. The soul is like a flame. Why is the soul like a flame? Because it's it's really trying to detach itself. And it's trying to go out and believe. Okay. Good, good. I like this in the court. I was in a fire. Another flame from the original flame, just the soul. It's not just one. It it can become more than one soul. Maybe I'm not saying that right. Okay. I'm going to try to make you louder yet again. Hold on. So if we, you know, we all have a flame within us, two flames what does it take for two flames to become one? They just need a touch. Not very much. They just need a touch. What does it take for two Jews with this soul to unite? Bargain. It, it shouldn't take much. You just have to get past the candle. Get past the glass. Um, uh, what's it called? That covers the candle. Is there a name for it? The chimney. Oh. <laughs> well, you, you have a lantern with a candle on it. The, 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 the glass thing is called a chimney. It's called a chimney? Yeah. So if we get past yeah. that glass chimney, these two flames become one. If we get past the body, these two souls become one. And we're going to elaborate this a lot in, later on in chapter 32. This candle, this flame is always flickering. Why is this flame always flickering? There's no reason why this flame is flickering. Science will not tell you why this flame is flickering. Now, science will explain how the flame flickers. And you can... It probably uh, uses fuel and then exhausts the fuel and takes more fuel and exhausts the fuel. And so, so there's an explanation as to how it happens, the mechanics as to how that flame is, is flickering because it's burning and, and the gases and it's a plasma and that it has very little weight to it and it goes up and it defies get Whatever the story is, you guys might be more familiar or are likely more familiar than I am. Science won't tell us why, how the flame... Sorry, science will tell us how that flame is flickering. It can't tell us why the flame is flickering. It just does. Because it has a source and it has to connect to that source. Our soul, how we connect to God, what we do to connect to God, there's great explanations in that. Um, there's an entire code of Jewish law telling us how to connect to God, what mitzvahs to do, and what the mechanics are. But why we connect to God, there's no reason. 
we just have to connect to our source. We said back in chapter 2. Let's flip back to chapter 2. It's really one line that says it all. Page 44. Chapter 1 introduced the two souls, or the fact that we have two souls. It discussed the animal soul. And then chapter 2, he introduces the godly soul. And the first bold line, the second soul of the Israelite soul, called the divine soul, is a piece of God above, literally. It's literally a piece of God. It's going to have to connect back to its source. It just, it just does. It's just what it has to do. But, but it says it, it connects back to the, its identity. It's so it's gonna. So it comes with a price, right? Connecting back to our source comes with a price. What's the price? Or consequence, I should say. Identity. You lose your identity. That's okay, because you don't need it by that time. If you connect to the source. You're giving it up. I like that. If you're connected to your source, you don't need your own identity. But you're, then you're you pretty, be so cool. <laughs> yeah. you're, 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 you're bigger than that. Yeah. You become bigger than that. And this is actually alluded to in the words of Tanya. Let's jump to page. We're not going to jump to page. We're going to go to page... Page 221. That's where we are, yeah, pretty much. So... We'll read the analogy, and then we'll read the, in Hebrew we say the nimshal, the, the referent, if you will, the, there's the analogy, and then there's what you're analyzing. I have to expand my vocabulary. <laughs> okay, so the analogy is the flame, right? And it says in the, uh, the top bold line of 221, and even though by leaving its wick and uniting with its source, the flame would be extinguished, and would cease to shine at all down here, and even above. Once reabsorbed in its source, the core element of fire, the identity of the flame's light would dissolve in its source. If you had a pencil, I would tell you to underline that, and you'll soon see why. Nevertheless, this is what the flame is naturally inclined to do. It's going to lose its identity. It still wants to do it. And there's no explanation as to why it wants to do it. There's only explanations as to how it does it, right? Now, let's jump down to the next, bold, uh, the next bold section. In the same way, a person's soul, as well as the other parts of the soul, naturally yearn, which we'll get to soon, naturally yearn and desire to be separated from the body so as to attach themselves with the root source of God may he be blessed. I'm going to jump down to the next bold section, the last paragraph. Now, and we're going to do some comparing here. Even though by departing from the body and being reabsorbed in the source, the soul powers would become null and void and would completely lose its identity there like the flame. But then he adds something. Nothing would remain of its original character and substance. So when it comes to the flame losing its identity, let's jump back on the top of the page. Towards the bottom of that paragraph, of, of the first bold paragraph, when the flame loses its identity... All it says is the identity would dissolve in its source, it loses its source. When the soul loses its identity, it says something else. It loses its identity, but he adds something. It doesn't just lose its identity. And would remain of its... Nothing would remain of its original character and substance. Why doesn't he say that by the flame as well? Because there's a hope of 
of coming back. Hope of coming back. Okay, you're on. You're you're on the right track. You can reignite that. But this one is where you've reached your top and you've reached your. You're saying the flame has a hope of coming back. Yeah, well, you because you can reignite it, and because it's got it's still there. But this one's got it can't come back when you. Let, 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 let me spell. I'll, let, let me let me clarify. When it comes to the flame, it loses its identity. That's in essence what it says. Yeah. And he says similarly, when it comes to the soul, it loses its identity. And its original characteristics, implying that there's new characteristics. More godly characteristics. Right? In other words, when a flame, you take a match and you throw it into a huge bonfire, you throw it into your fireplace, that flame is nothing, it's gone. But when a soul connects to God, it's not just gone, it actually takes on new characteristics. So... So this is like um, a, a change, a, 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 not necessarily a physical change. But so you I, don't lose your identity. Right. You, you build a new, a, a, a larger identity. Right. Okay, but to that point, that then then it's um, nothing would remain of its original character, implying that there's a new character that it takes on. But I I'm confused by that because. We just said that God has imparted a piece of his divine soul within us. It is literally God's soul in us. So if it's, if it's reabsorbed to the greater divine soul, it's still the divine soul. Brilliant question. You hear his question? Yeah. His How could soul... it take on... A new identity. Now, I, I it's will just say, God. It's a piece of God. I, I will say that um, I'm asking myself at the same time, okay, that's true, the divine soul. But, but my the animal soul. soul, that didn't come, like that came from the earth. Didn't the it? animal soul we're still going to have. We'll, we'll soon see that. We, what is we this? have this passionate love. We don't feel it. We're not conscious of it. There's a reason. All right? What's dominant? The animal soul. The animal soul. But, but even the piece of God... As it is given to someone, it it develop it it's developing as you mature and as you grow. And In other words, it has personality. And as you learn, that's why it says it's original character and substance. There, there, so it's you it's like it's like you had clay and you and it was molded into something, and then when it becomes so where it unites with the purest essence of of God. Now it's getting an opportunity to be molded in a different way, adjusted to be more intense, maybe, or more yeah. more. Spiritual. In other words, there's the, the essence would, of the soul. But I would it takes... not have stated it like that. I, okay. I, I would have stated that the soul that I have is is layered with klipa, that is under which all of it is the purest of divine souls, that is as pure as pure can be. But there's so much schmutz that prevents that. That you know, it, do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's like, but 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 even beyond the schmutz, let's say you you shake off the clipper. Within the realms of holiness, there's still limitations. There's personality. There's a thought pattern that the soul has. There's there's and your soul's thought pattern, even your godly soul's thought pattern, and my godly soul's thought pattern are going to be different. We're going to have different ways of uh, of doing things. At the end of the day, the soul is a piece of God. It takes on personality. It takes on independence. It does develop. It's my dad calling me. <laughs> it, oh, it's like something. the buzz. 
the soul develops a sense of independence. Um, Survival. And and there's there's and Kabbalah talks about extensively about and we'll get to it at some point in Tanya. And we touched upon it actually in chapter eighteen. There's the four worlds. You remember reading about the four worlds yeah. in chapter eighteen? Each world takes on a a deeper level of independence where it becomes created, it becomes formulated, it becomes active. Bria, Yitzira, see it's different levels where the soul takes on different levels of independence. But when it finally returns home, when we finally get to this realization, wait a minute, I need to connect to my source. So now my own independent passion, even if it's a godly passion, but it's independent, it's, it lets go of that. But it doesn't lose its identity. It develops a deeper sense of identity, being part of something bigger. As we said several times, what is real Bittel? Bittel's translated as nullification. But how do we translate Bittel? A little bit. This doesn't, it, once it gets to something else, it's like the one in 65, four? One, one in 60, right? In, in, in the laws of Kashrut, milk and meat were not supposed to mix. If you have a big pot of beef stew and you and a drop of milk accidentally falls in transforms that drop that drop of milk right loses its identity one in 60 and it transforms it actually became meat it didn't just lose its identity take it took on a greater identity it's different characteristics the flame lost its identity right that match it, it's done but but that drop of milk has a new stronger sense of identity and similarly the godly soul doesn't just lose its identity. It seemed to say here that it does lose its identity. So, so it does lose its identity, but then he implies that it get that it develops a new a sense of a greater sense of identity, because hmm. he says the words and nothing would remain of its original character and substance. What is the departure? Which he didn't say by the flame, implying that its original character doesn't remain, implying that it takes on a new character, a stronger hmm. sense of identity. This, this is right this before last... the soul would completely lose its identity there. Yeah. And then through doing that, develop a bigger sense of identity. So just like that drop of milk, it loses its identity as milk, mm -hmm. but becomes part of what the bigger pot is, becomes part, becomes the meat. So it does lose its identity. To become something. But to, come, to become something bigger. And the reason why this is so important is because we don't want this book to scare us away. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm going to become passionate and fall in love with God and I'm going to lose my personality. It's a cult. It's a but cult. It, but, it, but it, it, I know. And is this one that somebody still alive? Hmm? Because it sounds like it's just like... It's, no, no. This is, this, is a, this is an in-body experience. This is not an out-of-body... Um, very good because question. Because the flicker, and then it's gone, and it's not connected, and it's then your soul's lit. Well, <laughs> and it's like, uh, and then it goes to a Okay, so, so when it comes to the flame, it's literal. Yes, you know, it's really, you but when it comes to the body, it's it's not actually a flame. It's like a flame. What does this last sentence mean? I don't understand it. Nevertheless? This is its natural will and desire. Good. What does that mean? So, okay, we're going to get to that in one second. Before we get to that, um, is this idea clear? idea that bittel and becoming part of God doesn't mean that we're losing ourselves. It means we're becoming a bigger sense of selves. 
So a, a practical. So your old self will be better. So, so, so a practical example. Yeah. You have somebody who has a great, cheerful personality, funny guy. And one of those guys that just gets people to laugh. And he wasn't necessarily so involved in Judaism, didn't grow up with it, but he became inspired. And all of a sudden, he became really ultra-religious. And now he's not talking to anybody because he's focused and he's serious. He destroyed his identity. But if you have that same person who became inspired by Judaism, and now he's... It didn't, it's not a cult. He didn't come brainwashing. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to think you don't. He's an engaging, exciting person. But it's just a different part of him that's being expressed as a Jew. So now he's just an excited, passionate Jew. So he didn't lose his identity only. He lost one identity, but he took on a greater sense of identity. Manus Friedman says that you know, he used to run a girl's... Um, uh, a seminary for girls, for, for young women that did not have a formal Jewish education. He ran this school, maybe he still does, in Minnesota. And, you know, it's girls that are interested, didn't grow up with a Jewish back uh, um, education and, and are interested. Didn't have, and their parents are often not interested. And he'll get calls from parents, what did you do to my daughter? He says, what do you mean? Says, well, She's lighting Shabbos candles now, and she won't eat my kitchen, and she won't... So, so what do you want from me? Well, so this is because of you. He says, wait a minute, are you Jewish? He says, yeah. Who gave birth to her? I did. Okay, it's your fault. <laughs> Why are you blaming me that she's Jewish? She's just behaving who you birthed her to be. What do you want from me? But then he says, but... No, you don't have to if they had a sense of humor and they lost it because of this, the parents are right. Because Judaism is not supposed to destroy us. We're supposed to lose our identity but develop a larger sense of identity. Become bigger. In other words, our personalities must express our soul, not conceal them. The point isn't Drop the personality, you have something deeper. The point is, get to that deeper part of you and express it within the personality. And actually, he alludes to that in our chapter. Um, where are we? 221. Um, middle paragraph. 221, middle paragraph. He says in the same way, but he gave the analogy of the, soul, uh, of the flame connecting to its source, losing its identity. In our case, developing a bigger sense of identity, says in the same way a person's higher soul power than a shama, as well as the lower soul powers ruach and nefesh, naturally yearn to desire and be separated from the body and leave it, and to attach themselves with the root and, be, and to become part of God, absorbed within God. It's not just the nefesh, the nefesh, it's not just the neshama, but it's all levels of the soul. There are five levels of the soul. There are three conscious levels of the soul. The neshama, the Ruach and the Nefesh. What do, what do those mean? Does anybody remember from chapter 2? Pop quiz? <laughs> I didn't sign up for a pop quiz, sorry. <laughs> okay, we'll review. Let's jump back to page 49. We'll quickly review what those parts of the soul are and how that rel uh, relates to what we're saying here. Page 49. 
um, the second to last bold paragraph. For as we know, you guys see it? Yeah. For as we know, every soul contains three layers. There's the nefesh, which is bodily, bodily, body intelligence, which is basically the part of my soul that motivates behavior. There's the ruach, emotional intelligence, part of my soul that feels. And there's the neshama, there's the self-conscious, the intellectual, uh, the, the inte intelligence, our brains. So that's the nefesh, ruach, and neshama. The nefesh, ruach, neshama means my behavior, my emotions, and my, um, my thought patterns, the way I think. There's also two other levels of the soul, which are subconscious, the will and the essence, which we're kind of touching upon now. But what we're saying is that the essence will express itself consciously. So let's go back to what we're saying over here at 221, that same paragraph. This connection is going to impact not just our neshama, not just the way we think, not just our perception, but even our ruach, even the way we feel. And ultimately, even the nefesh, even the way we behave. This connection to God, this passionate connection to God, destroys it's going to build us it's going to impact the it's not just subconscious it's not just spiritual it's very practical because it represents the way we think the way we feel and even the way we act if we can tap into the soul level this connection to god which is like a flame which has no explanation as to why we want to connect we just do it's going to get us all the way in a good way. It's going to impact the way, not just our perspective on life, the way we feel, the way we approach, but even what we do. Any questions? Objections? Oh, you want to take this outside? No objections. <laughs> we need a good fight. <laughs> Makes it more interesting. <laughs> if you're asking us to learn something... You're asking the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lynn had a good question. The last line on page 221, what does that mean? Nevertheless, this connection is nat its natural will and desire. So what does that mean, this connection is natural? It's like we, in the first place, it sounded like we were losing our will. You know, like we were becoming part of something else. And we well, what no we're saying is we're developing a different will, a stronger will. Right, right. But, a stronger but, sense of but self. is that there's a desire there too? I don't know. Will, desire, like they, you know. Yeah, they're, 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 they're twin brothers, you know. Okay. <laughs> I think there's children. I do have a comment because this is very abstract. <laughs> what? It's very abstract. It is. It's like so abstract. It's not like... Real. You know, it's got, you, 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 if you want to be in touch with it, you kind of have to understand it, but it's hard to. Hard okay. To okay. When you took us back to 49, I looked at 50 and it says that arguing that each soul in its root is attached mm. to God. Does that have anything to do with. Okay. So, so, put, put, put that on the side for now. Put that on the back burner. I'm going to have you put that on the back burner. You got it. I, I can, I'll give you a. A very practical example to describe this connection. The example he gave here was the flame analogy, but in in Rabbi Shalom Dovber of Lubavitch, he was the fifth Rebbe in the Chabad. 
Rebbe dynasty. He gives an example of the parent relationship. A child's connection to their parents. What's the reason why a child connects to their parent? Or vice versa. What's the reason why a parent connects to their child? Love. Love, okay. What's the reason? There better not be one, right? <laughs> the child is a piece of them. The child's a piece of them. Other, other than that, there better not be a reason. <laughs> They're cute. Okay, so if they weren't cute, put them on the street, right? There better not be a reason, right? Why, do, why does a child connect to their parent? There is a sense of safety, but you have children that connect to parents even in the most dysfunctional relationships. They do. Right? Why? Because everybody wants to be connected. Because it's a natural inclination to want to be just, connected. Exactly. There's just no reason. As soon as, there are re- as soon as there is a reason for the connection, you're not connecting to the person. You're connecting to the reason. You can, so, for example, a marriage. Why do you choose to marry someone? Okay, there's reasons, because you don't really know the person. There has to be a reason. <laughs> there better be a reason, right? <laughs> the other way around. But once you're married to the person, why stay married to that person? There better not be a reason. Because the person is, because my spouse is smart. Okay, so your relationship is all about you. You like someone who's smart. It's about how you feel. It's about how you, right? I enjoy this person because she or he makes me feel good. Okay, so you're getting feelings from this person. Get money from the person. What else can you get from the person, right? As soon as there's reasons, it doesn't center around the relationship. It centers around... What can I get out of this? Ourselves. And it's yeah. often very subtly, not as extreme as I want money from this person. That's yes, why I'm married to her. But often a little bit more subtle. And it's not necessarily that unhealthy. It's very natural. I'm married to this person, right? Our feelings keep us going. But over here, our relationship with God is not just a feeling. It's not just a reason. It's like the parent relationship. And it's like a healthy spouse relationship once they're married. Why stay married? Because you're married. Because you're connected. Because you're one. Why connect to God? Over here, we're not answering why you should connect to God. What we're saying is, you have a reason. You have a will to connect to God. And there's no reason to it. Just like the flame. Science will only explain how you connect and won't explain why. There's how you connect to God. Why? As soon as I put a why to it, I killed it. It's not the same. It's just not the same. And by the way, this idea is illustrated in this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion opens up. The por- portion is Lech Lecha. God tells Abraham, Go forth. Go forth and get out of here. Go where you're told. I'm going to bless you, make you into a great nation. You're going to be a powerful nation. You're going to have an incredible land, the land of Israel. He's giving them all these rewards. What did Abraham do to deserve no. This. He just believed in it. What, what did he do, right? Right now, place at the right time. 
But that's bottom line because you do have you have, you have all the midrashim and you have the Talmud where it discusses Abraham the starting to believe in God when he was three, rejecting idolatry, risking his life to reject idolatry, and to really believe he he discovered God, he discovered monotheism on his own, but the Torah doesn't make any mention of it. It says go forth. God says I'm choosing you, but not because of what you did. It's just like you will. Because, because you're the one. God chose us because we're the ones. There's no reason. There's no reason why we want to connect to God either. It's just... It's, it was so interesting because they said something about the sun is not God because the sun goes down in the night. And the moon is not um, God because it disappeared. And then it's like, yeah, I don't know, I was reading this children's book. It was awesome. Eventually he came to a logical <laughs> conclusion. That, that, that it must be a higher force because it's the Let's take a look <clears throat> in t on, uh, on our sheets here. Text 2. So so we're we're on our on these sheets. You have the you have the email, right? Yeah, but Oh, oh, oh. page sorry, page I sent you the whole thing. Page 32. 32. 32. You have to scroll down. Yeah, you have it should be the last or second to last. So some of us should be familiar with this um statement, an excerpt from the Passover Haggadah. We have the matzah out. And we say this, this is the bread of affliction, which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Sounds familiar? Oh, yeah. The Hebrew? We say, ha lachma anya. Ha means this. Lachma, the bread, anya of affliction. Now, if you look in the Chabad Siddur, in the Chabad Haggadah, and many other Haggadahs, it doesn't say, ha lachma anya. It says, hey lachma anya. Spell it it's spelled with instead of hot hey so the translation is the same the pronunciation is different instead of hot hey and the balshemtov points out that this is a hint to something very important hey the letter hey is the bread of affliction what's the letter hey represent let's let's backtrack what's the letter there's there's the four letters of god's name there's the yud there's the hey, there's the vav, there's the hey. Each one represents a different, uh, one, one, uh, a series of the ten traits. Yud represents chachma. Chachma, wisdom, being open to something bigger, which in essence is bitl and humility. That's why it's just a yud, it's just a small little point. It doesn't think too much about itself. About itself. <clears throat> hey, much larger. It's expansive. Stable. It, it, that's Bina. Understanding. Right? Because it's a lot more of an expansive, broad letter. A wise person is a lot more, has a lot more humility than a smart person. That's not to say that a wise person doesn't have, can't be smart, or that a smart person can't be wise, but a person who's primarily, primarily smart, analytical, is not going to be as humble and open to new ideas as a person who is wise. A listener, right? It says in Pirkei Avot, in, in Ethics of Our Fathers, who is a wise person? Somebody who learns from everyone. 
somebody who has that openness. Bina, understanding. This is a little bit Kabbalistic. It discusses this later on in Tanya. We chat. We touched on it upon it in chapter three, but we didn't get into the letters really. But it it, it will be discussed later on in Tanya in the third section that discusses Teshuva. The letter Hey is understanding. Now let's go back to our passage here. Hey, Lachma Anya is the bread of affliction. It's poor man's bread. Bread, right? The letter Hey, understanding is cheap. Let go of the understanding. Just let go. Stop trying to understand. There's times where it is appropriate to understand. But sometimes we need to just let go. Because there's a deeper part of ourselves. Once we let go and connect to this deeper part of ourselves, like you mentioned in last class, now we can understand and appreciate that in a much deeper way. Is it a little bit more clear? A little bit more, or I should say a little bit less, uh, is a little, does it sound a little bit more relevant yet? We're getting there. Okay. Um, That's a really nice way to put it. I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more confused than I was before. Okay. Uh, I think I'm just tired. Let, let, let's... Is there anything specific that's confusing? Nope. Just foggy. Okay. It'll get clear as we go. It when it becomes more practical, it becomes clearer. This that's is right. very abstract. Okay, okay, I get, like I get you. It's like, seriously, like, there's a lot. And it's like, complicated. Okay, and so, so to and put it... it's there, and it's real, and it's relevant, and it's... If and I, it, but there's so many corners, and, and there's so much. If we could put it in one line. Yeah. Your relationship to God is not how well you understand Him. Mm-hmm. It's just who you are. So basically, you don't have to worry about this. And you've got to let go and be open. Correct. When I'm because when I'm not feeling God, yes. we'll discuss how to access this, but sometimes it's just letting go and allowing ourselves to feel. Because he's there and there's no, no demands or no reason why. or no. Which is why he told Avraham. He chose Avraham. Because there's no reason why. But no reason. It didn't mention anything that Avraham did. He says, I'm going to reward you, but it didn't say what he did to deserve that reward. And he did things. Avraham was very strong in his faith. Avraham had great self-sacrifice for belief in God. But that's not why God chose him. God says, that's not why I want you. I want you because of you. Not because of what you do. So that's unconditional. Unconditional. And now Avraham... So God says to us, I want you because of you, not because of what you do. And that's why we do. In other words, what makes me Jewish is not my behavior. It's the fact that you're Jewish. I'm just Jewish, and that's why I have certain behaviors that I, that I try to adapt in line with my inner identity. Is this uh, not a product of reasoning and logic? Oh, so, so he calls this nature. This is the nature. Sorry, where are you? The same paragraph. Okay, perfect. This is the nature of every Jew. What does that mean? Question. Yes. So this light that was given to Avram that is flickering and there and making a connection, 
is this being passed on to everyone? And now we're talking about Abraham, but we're actually talking about everyone. Yes, else. yes, yes. And yes. that's why you like keep on going back to Abraham. Yes, 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 yes. Exactly. It, so but initially, it was called Adam, right? Was called Adam. Yeah, the whole. That's what it said. Well, first of right? Adam. Didn't it say it, that? It, it does refer to Adam, but in yeah. the sense of all. All Jews. All Jews. Uh, the word Adam literally translates as person. 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 Oh. I have a child named that. I didn't even know okay, that. Okay, so I'm kind of appreciating Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know new perspective? New context? Man, I'm already enjoying the Yeah? yeah. So uh, we, we have a will to connect. Now, the, the, the challenge with this the reason why this is so challenging is because we're learning something about ourselves and the reaction should be, hey, if I'm learning this about myself, I should be very familiar with it. So why is it so hard? <laughs> right? I'm learning something about myself that I don't know. It's just a, a very weird thing. But in other words, I haven't experienced this before. And if I have, it doesn't happen very often. I guess we'll find out very soon. She's trying to sneak out. It's her fault. I would have really seen her in the driveway. What, what am I missing? Fabi just escaped. And, uh, yeah. Should so, we take an intermission? So we're just checking if her car's blocked. Yeah, yeah, she it if, if she You're in front of the other car. I kind of like... She sees me. You know, I'll okay, should we, should we put this on pause for a second? No, no, no. Yeah. Keep on, keep on. Okay. So we're learning something about ourselves that we don't really, haven't necessarily experienced. So we're, we, we might be a little bit cynical here. Yeah, that would be a good word for it. <laughs> I think it's time for a valet. <laughs> this class is getting too popular. Yeah. Or just had more room. No, we just see we get that other car in the driveway. <laughs> See, I have a little more room. How's she feeling? She's yeah. doing much better. Yeah. Thank God. She looks better. Okay, you know, while he's parking, I'm going to run to the bathroom. Keep our uh, listeners on the recording busy. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't worry, the cars are all moving and, and Josh has gone to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I got that. We're keeping you in the loop here. Mm, thank you. Maybe right. some TMI. <laughs> we lost both Zimmermans. Yeah, but he, he had a calling in nature. It's the connection. I didn't even know that was his last name. Really? No, never heard his last name. That's funny. We just call him Rabbi Z. Really? I just call him Josh. I just call or him. Josh. I just call Rabbi, him. Rabbi Josh. Huh? I just call him Josh. Rather than Joshua. So about um, about seven years ago. They're too good. About seven years ago, I was learning this chapter. The same chapter? The same chapter. Yeah. Uh, this series of chapters. Um, 
with a friend who is going through a very difficult time spiritually. Here, John, here. This is for John. <laughs> it's going to destroy the... It's going to destroy the screen. Where do we put it? So we, have to, we, have to, we have to update with you with what the food's going to be. It, fax it over. Oh, it's a very flat cookie. <laughs> I'll choose one for you. They're all the same, but I'll choose one. <laughs> Good one. We're, we're going to all eat an extra cookie in your name, Your Honor. So, so about seven years ago, I was learning this chapter with a friend. He was going through a difficult time spiritually, trying to figure himself out. And I thought it would be an appropriate chapter. And he had a hard time with it. You're telling me I want to connect to God. Who are you to tell me what I want? <laughs> I'm telling you I don't want to connect to God. See, but I guess this is, this is where I kind of like <clears throat> say, some things are beyond our control. Like, um, you know, I, I can't help it that I have a piece of God in me. Nor can I help the fact that that piece of God wants to connect to Hashem himself. I can't help any of that. The only right? thing we can do is become conscious of it. Right. Is to what? To become conscious of it. Yeah. So the fact that your friend says he doesn't want to, doesn't That's matter what he wants. It's there. Huh? It doesn't matter if he wants it, it's right. there. Right, it doesn't matter. Exactly. He doesn't have a chance. Exactly. And, so, but if he doesn't realize it's there, I, his life's going to be what we do sort of meaningless. Well, possibly. There'll be a lot of tension as well. Yeah. Because get to I have it, I don't have it. Who am I, you know? Well, right. we have like a yearning to facilitate it, right? Yeah. But sometimes that, we'll soon see, sometimes that yearning is asleep. And sometimes it's more awake than others. Sometimes it's covered with schmutz. Sometimes it's covered with schmutz. And sometimes it takes a life of a life event to actually make you understand what's most important, you know, like, as in what you need. Definitely. So you Definitely. might not be, until the, something happens, you don't know, that kind of can't get there, and then you'll realize, okay, maybe I need to take this. Very, very good point. And, and our goal here in Tanya is how do I develop this love without having an event develop it for me? <laughs> how, do I, how do I develop, you know, without somebody threatening my Judaism, threatening my faith? In other words, if we're willing to die for God, which we all are, we have this love. If somebody were to, God forbid, hold a gun and say, deny your Judaism, deny God, it's, our faith would come out. If we're standing, or to be more practical... If an anti-Semite came and threatened us in the middle of the synagogue on Yom Kippur, how much Jewish pride would we feel at that moment? Mm. It would be pretty high. It would be pretty up there. Mm. I'm willing to suffer for God and be attacked for God. I can live for God too. If I can die for God, I can live for God. And what the Tanya is trying to tell us is that each one of us is prepared to die for God, but he's not demanding that we do that. He, he's saying, please, if you're going to die for God, and there's no reason for it, it's just who you are, then please just live for God. And we can remind ourselves when we're struggling, hey, I would die for this, wouldn't I? I would suffer for this. Not by choice, just by, by nature. We'll soon see what nature means. Why can't I live for it? Why can't I thrive of it? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure who said it, but I think it was, it was, it was the perfect um, description. It's just like, 
recognizing until you recognize that this that's truly who you are you know you can say oh, i'm born jewish but until you until you know saying it and and abs- absorbing it and 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 truly uh relating to it and accepting it and using it to make progress i guess is, is how i would put it it's like you know i I mean, speaking personally, it's, it's like, okay, all right, I've been Jewish for 40 years till I met Raleigh. And o- only after, like, I met Rabbi Raleigh did, did my, my, my curve go like this, right? There was some recognition at that point about I, I'm more than I thought I was, right? And, and only when you kind of crack that shell can you really begin to, like, open up and live for God, right? I mean, you, I was existing for God, but now I'm living for God. I like it. Right? Yeah. Beautiful. What does living for God mean? I mean, it, 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 for, me, for me, it means, it means, uh, studying, every, every day, hmm? thinking of God in the context of your everyday life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that's a part of it, but it's also, like Thought you're saying, speech that, and action. but but I mean, there's living for God means being present in that relationship. How to be present in that relationship? We have, you know, physically present in that relationship, observing the mitzvahs, studying Torah. I mean, there, there's six hundred thirteen opportunities to to live for God. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, and and this connection that you're describing that we often aren't aware about ourselves and we learn about it we're like is it really there you know like we said last time Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev he was a contemporary of the Alter Rebbe they were close buddies they were also their grandchildren married each other so they became family and he used to say he, he said about the Tanya, how did such a large God fit in such a small book? <laughs> <laughs> but another line that he said, he used to say, God, you made life so confusing. You made life so difficult. Our struggles, our lusts, our personal self-centered desires and pleasures are right in front of our faces. And God is in a book. <laughs> See, it's funny when you said that because I was thinking. You've done myself, it the other way around. Because <laughs> when he said that, I was I was thinking to myself. Well, he he already knew that answer. He already knew that answer why God could live in this book, right? Because uh, I maybe I think it was in an earlier chapter. God is so infinite that he can make himself finite too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and we and pretty deep. Yeah. That's good. That's, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it's, it's in this book somewhere. I don't know if it's... Oh, well, you could... It's there. It's there. Right. We'll get there. Oh, oh, we're not there yet, okay? I remember. remember. You got it. I have right. to tell you something very funny. So the first time I, I even heard about Tanya, I heard from Prima, and then she said something like, this book was written for people who like weren't really intelligent, and it's for everyone. That's how come we can learn it. Because... What were the intelligent people doing? I mean, how, what are they learning? Because this is so complicated. And it's like, 
the the way I've heard it is <laughs> it is they call Tanya. Tanya was always referred to as the Bible, so to speak, of Hasidus, the Torah of Hasidus, the Chumash. And the reason is because everybody studies the Torah, the text of the Torah. Yeah. You know, Chavi's teaching second grade, first grade, they're studying the stories in the Torah. And the greatest of scholars are also studying the Chumash, the Torah. And, and, and there's so much layers to the understanding. Same thing with the Tanya. You have simple people studying and relating to the Tanya. You have much more intellectual people studying Tanya and everybody in between. And, and it has a message for everybody. For everybody that's not perfect. Anybody near or far from perfect. So, so to, to address your comment though, it's like, okay, um, I used a different book but I studied Tanya once before, yeah. and we're doing it now. And this will not this this will not be my last time through it either. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, you study it every, you, you every book cycle. you know, cover this to cover yearly, cycle. yearly, right? I'm not every up to that. I, I know just preparing for this class, like, there's you know, there's things I've never even noticed before, and I've 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 been learning Tanya since I was about fifteen. I'm twenty seven now, so about. Who can do the math now? John? <laughs> 13 years. Uh, 12. No, 13. 13? Because you have to include the starting year. Also. Okay, I have to include the starting year. My first year, first of all, I was young and I was... But it was gibberish to me. Yeah. Just to get through it. This is just, just reading. It was, more, it, it was more gibberish for me back then than it is... Than you might think it is for you now. But it it's more isn't it more relevant as you as you mature as you mature yes. it becomes more relevant and, and incorporated and integrated into your into your everyday life and things just start to fall in place I'm sure. So if you have the uh, electronic version of this, can you just touch like Kuchman and and it will, Excuse you know, and and the translation will come up because I'm I keep looking back and I keep getting my phone. What does that word mean? What does that mm. word mean? Some, and then I, but two paragraphs later, I can't I remember what it means, means again. So, so when, when we started this, that's a good idea. That's when we app. started this, uh, is there an app at the beginning app? of chapter one or something? Some one of us had the electronic version, right? That was, yeah, David Ivensky was joining us in the beginning. It, it's on Kindle. It is. Okay. Or, or, but I don't know that it, you can touch. I need a glossary or a there, dictionary of terms or something. Uh, I, or I should be making a list. There might be one. In, in, there might be one here. I didn't see it. The back. I was looking to see if it had a happy ending. Are you looking to see it? Happy ending. There is a glossary, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. You got a glossary. You have There's it here. There's a glossary. Chachma. Oh, so there's a glossary. What, what page is that? All the yeah. very beginning? Is no, very end. 679, something. 680, 679. Yeah, there's a glossary in the back. Oh, asking oh, you shall receive. There you go, wow. <laughs> see, then you shall find, right? It's all become clear. <laughs> <laughs> so... He, he refers to this connection, which has no explanation to it, as nature. Because what does nature mean? He says anything that you can't explain, we'll call it nature. Right? Somebody says, I, I can't do that. It's, 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 it's not my nature. It's not my nature. Or why do you do that? It's just my nature. You didn't, you're not explaining it. You're just using nature as an excuse. The excuse why we want to connect Nature. There's no. There's no explanation uh, to it. It's epigenesis. It's just because we have a piece of God, and and and, and that's it. And last question. You see, let's go to the next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought Kafka was was uh, 
Openness. Wisdom. Yeah. Well, that's the trick. That's what wisdom is. But it's saying in inquiry. Well, it's, that's another that's word openness. for wisdom. They're, they're like synonyms. I mean, they're, they're different, hmm. you know. And it's wisdom different. is a literal translation. There's a, there's a definition and there's a description. Mm-hmm. He's giving mm-hmm. more of a description. The definition, you would translate as, as wisdom. But what does wisdom mean? Hmm. What does it mean to be wise? Yeah, well, and you described that, you know, 10, 10 15 minutes ago. It's, you know, in, in openness, listening, you know, uh, and, and, and actually, so as we're saying here, this will to connect, it's because we have a soul, manifests itself within the component of Chachma that we have within ourselves. Our Chachma is what enables us to have this on a very conscious level, because Chachma is this openness, is this bittel, is this openness, if you will, to God. Okay, how about, how about this line? Chachma is not merely a route to holiness, it is... The holiness. Good, good. The, which brings us to our next point. Everything in the point. universe that is sacred must flow from Chachma. So how do you know if something's holy? If, how do you know if something's holy? Third paragraph down. If it has a Chachma component to it. If it has a humble component to it, an open component to it, a Bitzel component to it. That's why relationships are holy. That's why strife and, and, and when people don't get along, that's unholy. Why? Because Chachma, holiness comes from Chachma. Chachma means that openness. Openness to something bigger than myself. That will express itself in every aspect of life. Anything that reflects that is going to be holy. If, if anything, anything that reflects that openness within the appropriate boundaries and, and, and framework. Because if you're, there's a difference between open-minded and absent-minded. <laughs> absent-minded is not Chachma. Open-minded is Chachma. And they're very different. And unfortunately, they get very much confused um, these days, right? People are open to everything and anything, and it, it, it's not, that's, no. <laughs> it doesn't work. We have to be open, but we can't be absent. There has to be boundaries. But when we have that appropriate boundary, and we have that appropriate chachma, it becomes holy. Um, conversely, Klippa, he says, conversely, Klippa, which is anything concealing that holiness, Klippa is like that mask, that schmutz, that schmutz, if you will, good, the schmutz that is masking our godly perception and, 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 and making us see, take life for what we see and as opposed to for what it is. So let me backtrack a little bit. When we look from the godly soul and we're inspired with this chachman, with this connection, we don't, we don't go by what our eyes see. We believe that there's something deeper. You see a, a person, but you look, there's something deeper to them. There's a soul, there's potential, there's passion. But if we're just a body, if we're just an animal soul, we look at someone else, like it says in chapter 32, you just see a body. We go by what we see. And the result, we become more self-centered. A chachma person, a person who is living from this godly perspective, this connection, won't be aware of themselves, won't be self-aware, or won't be self-centered, I should say. A person who's living from the animal soul perspective will be more self-centered, will be more self-aware. 
And that's why he says Chachma. He says later in the chapter, Chachma is referred to as life. And anybody lacking that Chachma, anybody living from a Klippa perspective, is referred to as death. Not life and death in the, in the literal uh, um, sense, but in a more figurative sense. Spiritual. In, in a, a, person, a person is, like you were said, the difference between existing and living. When we don't have Chachma, when we don't have this soul connection on a, in a conscious level, we merely exist. We're dead. We're dead because we're not really living. We happen to be alive. We weren't hit by a bus that day. But we're not actually alive. We're not thriving. We're breathing. But when we have Chachma, as the verse says, he brings from Islastasis. I got it right. I think I pronounced it right. Chachma gives life on page 224. Chachma gives life. This is why Chassidim and those who really absorb Tanya are joyous. Because they're, they're, th they're thriving. They're not just surviving. Right? Without Chachma, we're self-centered and we're in survival mode. What can I do to feel good? What can I do to get my needs met? But from the Chachma, from the soul, from the godly soul perspective, it's not what can I do to feel good? What can I do to get my needs met? What am I needed for? Let's start living. And we see this, by the way, in the Torah. Before Adam and Eve self-indulged, ate from the tree of knowledge, they were totally naked, and it was totally normal. It was totally acceptable. Why? Because they weren't aware of their bodies. They were connected. They were connected. They weren't aware of their bodies. They were wisdom. They weren't just. They they, had, they weren't just existing. They were. They were thriving. They were alive. Once they self-indulged, became about them, their first reaction, cover up. Cover up. They became self-aware. As soon as they indulged, as soon as it became about them, they became self-aware. i got to cover myself. What changed? Their self-awareness. They indulged. They became self-aware. They weren't living from that godly soul perspective anymore. And by the way, that's why Noah... Right? So let's... Ten generations later, the world became so self-aware, so self-centered, it became corrupt. People were stealing. People weren't respecting relationships. God said, i got to destroy this. He spares Noah and his family, destroys the world, and Noah says, we can't let this happen again. So what's the first thing he does? Gets drunk. Gets drunk. Right? The first thing he does is get drunk. Let's not be self-aware anymore. Obviously, that's not the answer. The answer is not narcotics. The answer is not drugs. The answer is not self-medication. Something our generation likes to do. We like to self-medicate when we have problems, right? I had a huge caffeine headache. I run to the store. I get my Diet Coke. I'm aware of my body. But if I could peek beyond and not be so self-aware, self-centered, I could thrive and live. But for his time, Noah was about as good as it gets. I mean, he was considered, you he, know, worth staining. So, you know, he, he was trying to fix a problem. It wasn't the right solution. Yeah, yeah, he just wasn't going down the right road. So, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge, the knowledge right? Mm -hmm. Not the tree of wisdom. Correct, correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before they were living from a wisdom perspective, that mm -hmm. openness to something bigger, 
And then they became, they ate from the tree of knowledge, they became knowledgeable about themselves. You know, that's a very interesting thing you just said. <laughs> well, and, and here's why. It comes right. out of my confusion in my head. No, because, <laughs> no but, but if you think about it, all right, so, somewhere in this chapter it talks about wisdom being different than knowledge and um, how, uh, you know, there, there, you are cons- once, once, once you've left Chachman, you, you've entered into this state of Bina, you, you're, you're constrained now, right? Your wisdom, you're completely open, but now by the time you reach Bina, you're, you're trying to like get your hands around this, whatever it is you're thinking about, and, and right, you're, so you're constrained at that point. So the tree of knowledge is an implication that they have just constrained themselves, right? Hmm. And I've always known it was called the tree of knowledge, but I never thought about but, the implication. But now you know why. <laughs> yeah. They became that's, knowledgeable. That's very wise They became very egocentric. <laughs> you know, during the break on Yom Kippur, by the time the break of Yom Kippur comes, it's about 2 o'clock. You haven't eaten for 18 hours, I don't know, more, 19, 20 hours. You haven't drinking anything, and you're sitting there doing nothing, sitting around in shul or home or, or whatever it is, and you, you start to notice how hungry you are and how thirsty you are and how you didn't have your coffee. And you're not allowed to sleep. You were much. Really and then you. You were much better off when you were, davening. You were much better off when you were davening. Now fast forward three, four hours later, it's neila. Now it's at this point twenty six hours you didn't eat. You didn't drink in twenty six hours. You've been praying much more. And it's the climax of Na'ila where we're about to say the Shema. You feel the energy in the room. Where did the hunger go? Long gone. The hunger's not there. The thirst is not there. It's replaced. It's because it's replaced. You don't care. You're not focused on how you feel. You're focused on a deeper experience. You're not focused on surviving. We become focused on the energy, on thriving, on living. Noah's um, solution would have been, let's numb this pain. But our solution is not, let's numb the pain. Let's numb feeling ourselves. Let's, get, let's go even deeper than that. Um, okay, uh, there's a really interesting thing here, but how much time do we have? As much as you want. Yeah? yeah? We have, okay. Okay. Can we go another five, ten minutes? Sure. Okay. Let's take a look at text four. We did this in the past, but it's really. I think this is really important and really interesting, and really relevant to what we're discussing, and we'll tie it into our soul connection. Um, text four. Who's going to be a volunteer? It's on our sheets here. I, I can do it. Okay. Or Mike beat you to it. No, no, go ahead. Okay, John. you go for it. As a general rule, when a person's body is healthy, he is not aware of his body. Lack of awareness is a sign of health. It is only when one feels their limbs, head, or heart, hand, or foot that something is not right. The reason for this is because the body is vitalized and exists from the energy of the animal's soul. Therefore, one should not feel the body as long as it is properly being nourished from the soul. So a healthy person, how many of us are aware of our left toe right now? Until I mentioned it. Until you mentioned it. Right? That means you all have a healthy left toe. What if your left toe, even if it wasn't hurting, but you felt it? Something's wrong. Yeah. Right? 
A healthy person does not feel themselves. A healthy person is not just existing. It's not just a piece of meat. But a healthy person lives on. Let, let, let's continue. Similarly, when it comes to the vitality of the godly soul, the sign of a healthy Jew is when his body, animal soul, and his portion of the world, which he is to have an impact on, do not feel as an independent existence. His whole reality is the godly soul. For example, when one eats, one's, one's feel, one feels that through eating he draws God into that activity and into the world at large. This is through making a blessing on the food. That is his motive for eating. In essence, when eating, one isn't aware of the activity as much as its purpose, namely the blessing we, we recite before eating the food. Hello, Kenu Melchalam, our God, King of the world. So when we eat because we enjoy food, we're existing. We're feeding our existence. But if we eat because now I can make this food holy, I can make a blessing on it, I can use the energy it gives me to further serve God, I'm not living. I'm not Sorry, I'm not feeding my existence. I'm feeding my life. I'm living. I'm thriving. And that's the point in our, our, our chapter here. If we can develop this soul connection that we already have, we don't even have to, it doesn't take much. It's just realizing that it's there, but it is there. We're not going to exist. We're going to live. And by the way, I, just one more thing. I hate to be that teacher, but one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. We're going to jump to chapter 32. Ooh, wow. Okay, this is a big Page 363. This paradigm shift in perspective, where it's not about existing, it's not about the body, but it's living and it's the soul, is the whole purpose. This is really what the Torah is all about. Um, the first bold paragraph, in the context of the chapter, he's talking about developing this soul connection, focus a little bit less on the body, and when you see somebody else, you'll see a soul, not the body. Because you're looking from your soul's, uh, soul's perspective, not the body's perspective. This is the Torah's whole basis and root principle. I'm going to jump down a little bit. To raise and elevate the soul's importance over the body. Lifting the soul higher and higher. Ultimately, this is why we exist. This is what it's all about. There's this animal soul, there's this klippa, there's this self-centered drive to just exist and make pleasure out of our, our existence. And there's this godly drive which wants to not just exist but wants to live and contribute to life and contribute to its purpose and existence. And the whole purpose is to see from that perspective, from the godly perspective. And he says in this chapter, when you do, that's how you view someone else. You end up seeing someone else for who they are, not just how they appear. Because you could see beyond their body. You got past your own body. You got past your own uh, um, self-centeredness. You could look at someone else and you could see it. Because the perspective changed. Yeah. Yeah, observant Jews don't do a very good job of describing why they are observant to non-observant people. Because, I mean, I didn't... I grew up thinking, probably, probably because my parents do, that uh, observant Jews are really strange 
And why would they, they do are, this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you met Rabbi Josh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why would they do this? And why wouldn't they make you know live the normal life like every every other American? And, it's normal. And until them. I looked, until I got interested and looked at what observant Jews are doing, you know. It, but it was on me to go and find out what observant Jews are doing because observant Jews, to me, don't do a very good job explaining why. You're right. Why they're observant. We need more chabads. We need more chabad centers. More salesmen. More se- no, you're right. you're right. More marketing. I don't know. No, it's you. You have to care to explain to someone who's not religious to what about you. So if you, I mean, like sometimes it's it's very it's a very close community, and you have to if if somebody if somebody wants to know, you have to go and ask, and you have to try and get there, but they have to find out that you really want to before they'll give you the information because it's you're leaving yourself it's, open. You know, yet you have you have chabad shluchim that go. It's a very remote places. To try to just bring clarity. I don't know. It was a quote that I got out of Chabad.org when I wrote a paper recently that, and I wrote it about Shluchim. And, and uh, it was, uh, they come bearing smiles and loads and loads of kindness. And I mean, the list just went on and on and on and on of all the things that they bring to the community that they are starting. But, but, but... And, and, and I will point out that it's not, you're right, it should, Chabad should not have the monopoly on Jewish outreach. On what? On Jewish outreach. Oh, right. But they and do. The Rebbe didn't want Chabad to have the monopoly. Not that she, there should be less it? Chabad, he wanted everybody to. But who else does it? There's a lot no, more, there's no a lot of organizations that do it these days. I guess they're just not as. I, uh, I saw an organization, and they're, they're relatively Jewish, successful. Jewish organization? Yeah, yeah, Jewish outreach organization, observant. And they're boasting that they have 30 centers throughout the world. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere, right? I know, but that's a level of... of uh, Maybe you should stop... I, 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 I don't mean to put them out. I don't know out. how long they've been around. You've got to give them credit. No, for I, I, I'm not... I, I, I'm, I say that humorously, but I'm not... I'm God forbid, I'm not putting them down. They're doing great I mean, work. Maybe and they've only been at it for a couple of years. What, what we're, we're learning here is the, is the basis of why you're why it's important to be observant. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. But but this isn't getting... I mean, it's pretty involved. <laughs> right. It's, it's, and it's, we have trouble understanding it's, it's it. It's not something you'd see as literature on the table. No, no. And right. I, I think the answer to your question, based on what we learned here, why am I observant? Because I'm a Jew. There's beautiful explanations as to why I should... In other words, why is the flame flickering? It just does. I could assign. I you know. I could only rationalize how it flickers. I could rationalize how to do the commandments. Why? I could even rationalize to a certain extent why. There's great philosophical works within Judaism, but ultimately, based on what we're learning now, it's just who I am. You See, flip but, that but, though, right? You flip that. You say it the other way around too, right? So, but I'm I, observant I, because I'm a Jew. I'm Jewish because I'm observant. No, I'm not Jewish because I'm observant. Uh-huh. If I'm Jewish because I'm observant, what happens when I stop observing? Yeah, or what happens Jewish. if one exactly? What happens if one person observes more than the other? They're still just as Jewish. See, right. but but your to me your answer wasn't complete enough because okay. um, you you say I'm observant because I'm Jewish. I think the I think a more I I should say I observe. I do these actions 
I do the mitzvahs, or I try to do the mitzvahs. I try to take uh, the opportunity to do these uh, commandments that God asked because I'm a Jew. Which still leaves me with, with in, in the same place, meaning like... Um, again, I, I use myself as my own point of reference, but it's, it's like... Um, until 10 years ago, um, I was a Jew. I've always been a Jew, but I wouldn't say I was observant. And so as I, as I gain in my knowledge and, 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 and absorb more of, of uh, God's teachings, I become more observant, right? So, there's, so, so what's the reason? Okay, so because you're aware that you're... Awareness. There we go. We're aware yes. that we have that we're a Jew. Yes. Yeah, so it's not good. It's it's not enough to just be Jewish. You have to have an awareness. But I think the people, I think the people that are having trouble explaining it, might not have the awareness. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree. With <laughs> which is maybe why they're, <laughs> maybe, which is maybe why they're not, don't have the same energy and the same passion and the same. Yeah, I mean, looking at my life, I think most people don't have a question of who they are. Most people have a question of who they are. Most people do? Yeah, most okay. people do. Most people can't connect with who they are. Well, I, don't you think people are, are, are naturally afraid of being labeled? I mean... Yeah, well, there's all kinds every, of other stuff like that. Not everybody wants to get put in a box. But that's what I'm saying. There's a difference between open-minded and absent-minded. There has to be identity. I can't just be... Am I a human? I'm not an animal. I, ha I have to be something. I can't just be, you know, without getting too politically, um, you know, if this goes too public, I'll get thrown off the air, but, no, you, you want to book a flight, are you, a couple of years ago, are you male, or are you female, are you male, are you female, are you other, are you not, do you not want to disclose, do you not want to say, do you not want us to ask it? You you have yeah. you have the privilege of not answering these questions. I, I understand, but 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 the fact is, we all have identities, right, and we have very real identities. Right, but I think I do and, and believe boundaries. that some people are afraid that if they disclose that what they are, that automatically people are going to yeah, sort yeah. of jump to conclusions and and make them feel like. Oh, I know. I, I know who you are. I know who you are. I, 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 I get it. You know, just uh, people, uh, stereotype people. You know what, it, actually, the, the, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe writes in one of his teachings that, at least in his generation, but I, I, I think it applies just as much now, especially according to what you're saying, the biggest challenge that we have, where we need self-sacrifice for, is being afraid of public opinion. If you go a generation before, even several years before he wrote that teaching, living in communist Russia, it wasn't public opinion. It was just, somebody's going to kill me if I do this. But if we come out as proud Jews, nobody's going to kill us. They're just going to laugh at us. And, you know, and we have a hard time with that. We, we have to, and you're right, we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time, you know, what, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to think of me if I wear a kippah? What are people going to think of me if I say, sorry, I can't order this because I'm only going to eat kosher? What are people going to think of me? 
We're, we're so f afraid of public opinion. And it's very natural, it's very normal, but it is a, a challenge that we all have. But when we have this awareness, yes, I have this fear of what people think, but this is who I am. I can't change that. People will respect that. When we respect it, why wouldn't others? You need to have the Who Are You campaign. You know, like Dr. Seuss says, nobody could be youer than you, <laughs> except you. Sharon, you had a question? A comment? Yeah, no, I, no, I, was just, I was just thinking that, um, like, like in the community back home, they would teach people, but I think, and I'm thinking from years back, and I don't know because I was younger, but they would, you would be given opportunity, but you would have to actually ask for it, and you'd have to have the good intentions of learning through it, and you know, they would, if you were coming in with the, just to, 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 to mock it or whatever, they wouldn't let you go into the thing. They'd like screen you first. You know, like. Interesting. If you weren't, if you, if, I mean, especially if you, like, um, they question your religion, <laughs> you know, if you're not Jewish. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. You have to ask three times. Are you sure you want to be observant? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want to be observant? Are you sure you want to be observant? David, I think you've, you, you, you do raise a very important point. And this is what Tanya is really tackling. We're trying to develop a strong sense of who am I, a Jewish identity. And that's, that's the bottom line. And, and how do I relate to, to God and how do I relate to the universe and all that. Yeah, yeah. that's the bottom line. Do you really want to be observant? Do you really That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Right? Yeah. You better. I mean, ask that three times, right? I need to, I just want to say, I 